Welcome to Cardio Radio, a podcast of the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative, also known as Cardio. This is Dr. Michael Constant from the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and I serve as the principal investigator for Cardio, a statewide network of Ohio's seven medical schools. Cardio is funded by the Ohio Department of Medicaid and shares best practices to improve cardiovascular health, diabetes outcomes, and to eliminate health disparities in Ohio's Medicaid population. The opinions and recommendations in this podcast are those of the presenters and not those of Cardio and its sponsors, and are not intended to be a substitute for medical advice. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. I'm Trig Vidalber, Assistant Professor of Psychiatry and Internal Medicine at Case Western Reserve University, Medical Director of Personalized Care, and Interim Medical Director of Addiction Recovery Services at University Hospitals in Cleveland, and a member of Cardio's Team Best Practices. In this podcast, we will discuss mindfulness and meditation and how these can be used in practice to help patients have better health outcomes. With me today are Dr. Barbara Walker and Dr. Ayo Adesanya. Dr. Adesanya is a family medicine physician and an instructor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at The Ohio State University. Dr. Walker is an integrative health and performance psychologist and an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neuroscience and affiliated faculty with the Osher Center for Integrative Health at the University of Cincinnati. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Mindfulness is a term that gets thrown around a lot these days, but I know that it does actually have a behaviorally and neurologically significant definition. What is that? Dr. Walker, could you start us off? Sure. Um, So I like to use the definition from the creator of the mindfulness-based stress reduction program, John Kabat-Zinn, which is paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, as non-reactively, non-judgmentally, and open-heartedly as possible. Yes, John Kabat-Zinn. For our listeners who don't know, many consider him to be the godfather of Western mindfulness. Yes. So mindfulness is really deliberately paying full attention to what's happening around you and within you, literally in your body, heart, and mind. It's awareness without any criticism or judgment and can be really used to reduce psychological suffering. Most of our psychological suffering comes from criticism and judgment. Thank you for that. And Dr. Adesanya, I'm interested in your perspective on mindfulness, specifically as a family medicine physician. Yes, I know. Thank you. As not only a family medicine physician, but also a former participant in a mindfulness research uh, like study, mindfulness to me represents an inner awareness and centeredness. Amidst busy lives, mindfulness serves as a reminder to embrace calm. Okay, so there are really two important parts to it. The first, being aware of your experience in the present moment, that feels like common knowledge at this point. The second, though, of observing that experience without reactivity or judgment seems a lot more challenging depending on the experience. Dr. Walker, how is that possible? So like learning any new skill, it really takes practice. So meditation is what is considered the formal time set aside to practice mindfulness, which is the tool that can help you lead a more meaningful life. So of course, there's, um, there are meditation practices that serve purposes other than developing mindfulness. So if a patient tells you they're meditating, You could really ask more about the purpose and process of their meditation practice. Right, I know what you mean. Some of my patients will do visualization that's guided or breath work or other things like that. So I always ask too, what are we doing when we're meditating? Are we specifically working on mindfulness? 
How does this apply uh, in your life? What are you practicing it for? So mindfulness is really a way of living life fully and consciously. Again, it's paying attention. So by being actively present in moments of your life, um, a person will obtain a richer understanding of what life truly is. So leading a mindful life can help you live your life to the fullest, really being present rather than operating on autopilot. Being present and non-judgmental seem intuitively good. I try and practice that myself. But how do you see this impacting cardiovascular outcomes? Dr. Walker, can you respond? Sure. So one likely pathway is through behavior change. Optimizing mental health not only impacts one's sense of emotional well-being, but moderates most medical decision-making and outcomes. So if I'm stressed out and overwhelmed by my health problems or other areas of my life where thinking about them leads to fear or anxiety or even hopelessness and depression, I'm going to struggle to manage them. So mindfulness makes sense here because a number of studies indicate its benefits across a diverse group of psychological disorders as well as for general stress reduction. Yeah, I see that all the time in my patients where anxiety about health issues leads to avoidance. Sorry, it sounded like you were about to share some studies though. Yes. So um, some conclusions from one in particular from a meta-analysis on mindfulness-based therapy showed large and clinically significant effects in treating anxiety and depression, and the gains were maintained at follow-up. And then participating in mindfulness meditation daily for eight weeks decreases mood disturbance, anxiety and fatigue, enhances attention, working memory, and recognition memory. It also has been shown to reduce the behavioral anxiety response to an acute psychosocial stressor. Like checking your blood sugar, right? Yes, exactly. Another interesting study showed that participation in a mindfulness-based stress reduction program is associated with changes in gray matter concentration in brain regions involved in learning and memory processes, emotional regulation, self-referential processing, and perspective taking. Additionally, after an eight-week training in mindfulness meditation, significant increases in left-sided anterior activation in the brain, a pattern previously associated with positive affect, were found in meditators compared with non-meditators. Yeah, there's just so much coming out now about the really observable brain changes that occurred just from being more open and aware. That's absolutely right. And more specifically, mindfulness may augment management of cardiometabolic diseases by improving behavioral change relating to mindful eating, medication adherence, sleep quality, and physical activity. But another pathway may be more physiologically direct by reducing the inflammatory effects of chronic stress. Yes, it's such a fascinating area of study right now. It is, it is. And cardiometabolic diseases such as hypertension and diabetes are recognized to have mosaic models of disease pathogenesis involving alterations in neurotransmitter expression, autonomic nervous systems, sympathetic and parasympathetic activity, and inflammatory and immunologic signaling. Mindfulness practices have been shown to engage biological mechanisms involved in all of these stress responses. So cool. We could talk about that all day, but... The bottom line is we definitely see biological and psychological plausibility for mindfulness improving cardiometabolic health. Dr. Adesanya, though, what about the trials? Are we seeing positive outcomes using mindfulness interventions for cardiometabolic disease management? Great question. And yes, but not a lot. It's definitely a field still in its infancy. And it's hard to draw comparisons because there are so many different techniques for incorporating mindfulness into an intervention. Mindfulness approaches in type 2 diabetes 
demonstrate fairly consistent benefit on hemoglobin A1C levels, reducing them by around 0.4 compared to controls and also on diabetes distress. But the number of studies with good quality evidence is small and only interventions that include home practice outside of guided therapy sessions were successful. Yeah, so it sounds like patients need to be motivated to do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then in hypertension, mindfulness strategies have been more of a mixed bag. Among studies that looked at a specific intervention called mindfulness-based stress reduction, this is the one that was developed by Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, whose definition of mindfulness Dr. Walker shared with us earlier. There was really wide variation in outcomes, but it isn't clear why. This intervention is very well standardized and includes home practice, but does rely heavily on extensive mindfulness training and practice on the part of the therapist. So there's reason for us to be interested, but still a paucity of good quality evidence relating to cardiometabolic disease in particular. And the evidence that we do have is in regards to eight-week guided interventions with home practice. However, I would guess that many of our listeners don't have access to those for their patients. You're right, but many patients are still exploring mindfulness and meditation on their own, or maybe even asking about it, so primary care clinics could help by ensuring patients have an accurate understanding of what mindfulness is, and then guiding them towards applying it to reduction of distress related to disease management. This is the idea behind the diabetes distress interventions, when an individual can be aware without judgment of the experience of their disease, they aren't driven to avoid their distress and can manage the disease more effectively. Yes, so you're thinking about this for people who already may be motivated to practice, they're interested, or maybe they're already practicing mindfulness themselves, and you're going to build on it. Actually, relating to the distress avoidance, that's exactly how I use it in my own practice. For example, for a patient with low insulin adherence, I might ask them, you know, really think back, what was the last time that you skipped an insulin dose? Can you put yourself back into that moment right now? Describe for me, what was going on around you? What were you feeling? What was going on in the room? What were your thoughts? What's coming up for you right now in this moment when you do that? Exactly. If they explore the experience mindfully, just noticing what arises without judgment, they can get past their automatic thoughts and reactions and maybe make some discoveries about themselves. So you might even ask them to notice without judgment and to pay attention to emotions and even the physical sensations that come up, not just thoughts. Besides bringing mindfulness into the appointment itself, I also coach patients on how they can integrate this into their day. Mindfulness is about taking a momentary pause, creating some personal psychological space, and increasing awareness of thoughts, emotions, feelings, allowing you to respond rather than react to any potential suffering you may be encountering in the present moment. So we can be intentional about being mindful as our day unfolds. Activities such as showering, exercising, or driving home from work are deeply ingrained habits that allow us to be on autopilot, not requiring much thought or forethought. We can literally go through our day mindlessly, so you can choose to use mindfulness every day during various activities to enhance and wake up to the life you're living. For example, while you're on your way home from work, you could look at particular colors within your environment, perhaps all the different shades of green that you see which will allow you to be more mindful about the here and now rather than the drifting and possibly stressful thoughts within your mind. Yeah, that reminds me with the driving of Thich Nhat Hanh's advice about using red lights. 
as an opportunity to practice awareness rather than following your instinct just to feel impatient and wait for it to turn. Exactly. So to intentionally practice longer moments of mindfulness, you can link this up to already established activities such as taking a few minutes after you exercise, right after you shower, just before dinner, or even while you're cooking. So by linking mindfulness to one of these tasks, the effort needed to initiate the mindfulness session is really significantly reduced. Linking mindfulness with pre-established routines can reduce the resistance most people experience when trying to create a new habit. This is really resonating with me. As a family medicine physician at The Ohio State University, I often refer patients to the OSU Center for Integrative Health to work with professionals experienced in integrative medicine to develop a tailored plan that may work for them in incorporating mindfulness, diet, and exercise. But what if I don't live in Columbus? Understand. And without that resource, I would lean on my experience as a recent participant in that mindfulness curriculum. For me, one of the easiest and most impactful lessons is engaged mindful eating, eating food while sitting down at a table when able, chewing small bites of food slowly. I like appreciating the food colors, thinking of where the food products came from and the places and people that cultivated them. Mindful eating has demonstrated short-term results comparable to conventional diet and diabetes education programs, but we still need longer-term studies to see if outcomes are more durable. I use this a lot with my patients, too. I know I'm a lot more likely to overeat when I'm watching TV or YouTube. Completely understand. Completely understand. And beyond this, physicians can also encourage patient mindfulness by modeling mindfulness themselves as providers. Paying focused attention to the patient with an emphasis to ensure that the patient is being heard and being mindful of how you are responding to them. Yeah, such a great point. And about how you're feeling as well. I try to notice when I have something come up like an aversion about broaching an uncomfortable topic. That means I'm at risk of convincing myself that I don't actually have to talk about that. But anyway, what kinds of topics do you want to get into with patients? Maybe like a mindfulness history. Yeah, so as a psychologist, my particular specialty is working with patients, teaching them mind-body skills to improve their lifestyle behaviors and improve their health outcomes. So after inquiring about their current health condition and their current perception of stress, I assess their overall life habits, including sleep, exercise, movement, eating, connecting to other people, their time in nature, restorative practices and goals, and then attempt to meet each patient where they are to help them achieve optimal health. I do this initially through breath work, most of the time utilizing biofeedback, which then allows me to begin teaching mindfulness of breath. The goal is for them to apply this skill outside my office, increasing their frequency and depth of mindfulness throughout their day on their own, whether that is being mindful about making sure that they have a time that they take their medicine, what time to turn off their media before bed, practicing mindful eating during a meal that was already mentioned, or to formally practice meditation. Yeah, those are some nice and practical ways to implement this in the office setting. But it still isn't the same as those eight-week programs, which have weekly check-ins with audio recordings for specific guided meditations during the week and so on. If a patient's really interested in something like that, how can we help them build their practice in between appointments? Yeah, so the key to creating benefits is to practice with consistency. So habit change is best achieved by starting with shorter behavior changes. So maybe starting with five minutes versus 30 until the habit is established. And they can also incorporate a concept called habit stacking by linking their meditation time to an activity that's already established, like after their morning exercise. 
Of course, there are all kinds of phone apps and online programs that can help as well. However, there is so much content in any given app, it can be difficult to identify what what is evidence-based and at least based on the same principles as the evidence-based interventions. So the jury is still out on apps. Yeah. So believe it or not, most of the research in this area is not very robust. There really needs to be a lot more work before we can give recommendations here. In practice, though, I've found that patients will use the apps that they like, and there doesn't seem to be a one-size-fits-all solution. It helps to have an understanding of what mindfulness is for sure and how they can apply that to their health, and this will give you an outcome to track. In general, then, should mindfulness be under the guidance of a professional, or can patients self-learn? I think it may be helpful to first learn through a professional, but patients can teach themselves. There are plenty of books and other resources that guide through a step-by-step process. If one of our listeners is teaching their patients mindfulness and meditation, is it covered by insurance? So for most psychologists or counselors who teach meditation, learning meditation or mindfulness would be wrapped within the service provided under mental health benefits, whether that be in a group or an individual setting. We're almost out of time, so tying everything together, how would you say that mindfulness fits into the larger picture of health? Mindfulness and meditation are one aspect of a larger picture of self-care and optimal well-being, such as the importance of proper sleep and recovery, exercise and frequent movement, connecting to others, clean foods, and proper hydration. I completely agree and would advocate for recognizing mindfulness as a foundational lifestyle approach to cardiometabolic disease management, not to replace, but rather to augment current clinical strategies. So my key takeaways from this discussion are mindfulness is non-judgmental awareness of what's happening right now. It can be practiced in almost any moment, but putting aside time to practice makes it more of a habit. It can improve health indirectly by lowering the mental or emotional distress that arises with disease management, thereby lowering a barrier to self-care. It may also improve health directly by lowering the biological stress that contributes to cardiometabolic disease over time, but we have a lot more to discover about that. It can be challenging for a patient, or a clinician for that matter, to start a formal practice, but it can still be used at any time to gain understanding of stress-induced disease-related avoidance behaviors. As clinicians, we have access to that even during our appointments. I'd like to thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us, Dr. Dolber. Thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation. And a special thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Cardio Radio. This concludes today's podcast. Be sure to visit cardio.org to learn more about the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative.